Lumerside Collective. I'm your host, Lindsay Cabrera, and welcome back to this week's episode, season four, episode one. Before I introduce my next guest, I'd like to mention that there's a brand new Musimix up on my SoundCloud page, curated by Jess B, who was featured on the very last episode of December 2021. This week, you'll be meeting Monica Michella, an industrial designer with over 15 years of experience bridging design, art, engineering, material science, and marketing. She finds joy in connecting people to nature and telling stories about the inherent craft that goes into making objects into heirlooms. Monica's design process starts with materiality and observation, which helps to simplify manufacturing. She spent the last two years dedicated to becoming an expert on sustainable design with a focus on learning about architecture, circularity, biomimicry, regenerative materials, permaculture, ocean ecology, and indigenous crafts. Today, we discuss sustainable design, earthships, the 16 Rs, and so much more. This sustainable Masai is a visionary designer to watch and you can follow her on Instagram at Munica. I hope you enjoy this episode and here's Monica Michella on Musai Collective. Hello, Monica. Welcome to Musai Collective podcast here in Cavaretti, Dominican Republic in the space, which is an inner work sanctuary. And how are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing good. Thank you for having me here. Yes. So I was actually thinking about it and I met you here the first time because I was like, where did I meet Monica? And we were actually doing a breathwork session. And then I think just, you know, through our community, just kind of kept seeing you here and there. And then I started following like your adventures and all the journeys you've been on the last few months. And I was just like, damn, she's doing some really cool stuff here. So I'm really excited to get into everything today. And it's so nice to have a face-to-face interview (laughs) because many of my conversations are over Zoom. So it's really special when I get to do it in person. So let's get started. (laughs) Yeah. Super nice to be in this space. Yeah. There's something- Where I met you. Yes. (laughs) It's it's very- Meditative. I feel calm. The incense are burning. Incense are burning. Tranquilo. Yes. Thank you, Sabrina. (laughs) Okay. So you are an industrial designer with 15 years behind you in this industry. Can you tell us what exactly is industrial design and where did it all begin for you? Yeah. So firstly, industrial design came from the industrial revolution and it's when we started to mass produce products. So anytime you see something, it was designed by someone, a thing like a shoe or a computer um, or a bag, um, that is an industrial designer. Somebody put a lot of energy into making that thing look the way it is or work the way it is. So cool. (laughs) how did I, and then how did I get here? Yeah. And then how did it begin for you to decide that this is what you wanted to do? Right. Kind of your origin. Yeah, yeah. For sure. <laughs> so I grew up in a very creative environment. My mother is an artist and my dad is a builder. And so I was always painting and going to museums with my mom and my family and learning about all art, a lot of, yeah, ancient art and all the types of art. And so when I graduated, my mom was like, you know, I think you should try this thing out, industrial design in college. So I didn't really know what it meant. I just knew that I wanted to be creative and I actually wanted to be a fashion designer, which is like, you know, this is better to make a career out of because she's actually an art teacher. And she's like, I think it would be a good idea to learn about this. Industrial design incorporates, you know, presentation, 3D modeling, graphic design, marketing. It's a very all-encompassing 
degree. So I went into it without really knowing what it was, but I was super happy because I was able to get a job while I was in school in a startup lifestyle luxury brand. It doesn't exist anymore, but it was designing bags and wallets and even the interiors of the stores. And um, I worked there for four or five years um, and got to source materials from all over the world and got to start traveling. So I ended up being very fruitful in the end to pick this career path, you know, many years ago. And then, you know, things shift as we do, we change. And I sort of like look back now and I'm like, well, you know, that that part of that industrial side kind of got to me and that what is that? you know, mass manufacturing, what, why am I doing this? Why are we doing this? And have we outgrown this as a society to be mass producing in this way? And that's sort of kind of what led me on this journey to where I am today, you know, of this cycle of making things. And some of the things that I designed, I was working in tech after I worked in the um, lifestyle luxury brand. I started to work in tech and um, the Silicon Valley and, and California is where I'm from. And this is like such a lifestyle, you know, the Silicon Valley is very fast paced. It's your, everybody's on this cycle. Everyone's on this loop, go to work, go to the gym, go to sleep go to work, you know, and it's just this loop and you and you are constantly making money and consuming and buying. And this is part of that loop, especially as an industrial designer. You're, you know, you are the root of where things are designed and come from. So it's like the birth of a product. So when you think about all these things that are made and an industrial designer made them, it's like I was part of that. And we were all, you know, all these designers are like, wait a minute. So so. I can have an, a, a grand impact in that way, especially when I'm designing something where there were millions made, you know, millions of units go into the world. So it's, you know, really critically thinking about that path and reevaluating what am I doing? <laughs> you know, where am I at now? And how can I really, you know, make change for good or make things for good? That was, that was kind of a, a moment <laughs> where it's like having a hard time. So I worked there, I worked in, at Amazon for 10 years and a lot of time to think about it and grow and learn a lot and really reevaluate where do I want to spend the next 10 years of my life and how do I want to contribute to society, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I get that for sure. When you're kind of like asking yourself those questions, but what am I doing to contribute to helping the world or humanity or what am I doing? (laughs) Yes. How how am I serving myself and the the planet and others, right? Exactly. I definitely had this epiphany a few years ago as well. So, yeah, as you said, you mentioned to me that you had this shift in your consciousness where you realized that you had no survival skills and, you know, that you were stuck in this cycle and ready to break free from the corporate world. So can you tell us more about this moment about waking up Yeah, when that happened for you? Yeah, <laughs> I was having a hard time sleeping. I had kind of I had everything, you know, I had this life. I could do anything I wanted. I was super fortunate and abundant in this way. And I think everyone thinks that. It's like you're making a lot of money and you have everything. You can buy anything you want, Um, but something's wrong. Something's wrong. There's a shadow. I can't sleep. And so I would wake up with kind of anxiety or panic. And this was kind of like continually progressing. And one night I had a terrible nightmare of apocalypse, you know, and this was like, I guess, two and a half years ago now. 
And it was like kind of this dream where you don't know if you're awake or asleep. And I woke up and I was like, am I in it? This is real. I actually had written a list down in my dream and I woke up and it was actually a list that I really wrote down and it was all the things that I needed to get to survive. And I realized when I woke up, I looked at the list and I bought all this stuff on Amazon and I was like, okay, I have no idea. I know, I know how to work on a computer. I know how to make things on computers. I know how to sit in a boardroom. I know how to have these conversations, but you know, I can survive off this stuff. What happens when we're unplugged? You know, what happens? And that was like a huge wake up call for me. It's like, this dream was for real. You know, this isn't an accident. I need to learn how to survive. I'm, I, you know, I'm living by myself. I'm a single female and I have, I have all of the means to learn how to survive, but I'm stuck in this cycle. So that was sort of like a, a wake up call to break free. And then also to see that, you know, the apocalypse in some form was coming and it did come like, you know, a year later, it came or six months later, it did come and I sort of like premonition dream not like total apocalypse but very similar to my dream you know a lot of people were sick and the, the internet didn't work anymore you know what do you do <laughs> yeah and there was no cutoff of food supply but what if that was the case do you know how to harvest your own food you know we'll get into those things later but you know these things that you take for granted just going to the store and buying what you need as you said like we're so used to being working in, in the digital world it's like okay but what about the basics <laughs> Basics. And then what? Yeah. What did our grandparents do? Exactly. Where where does your food come from? Yeah. So I guess like after this awakening of ours, you you ended up shifting your career, your mindset, your lifestyle, and became dedicated to becoming a sustainable designer. What does that mean to be a sustainable designer? The last two years at Amazon, I I worked on integrating sustainability because I had this kind of dream and awakening and so I was able to bring a lot of like kind of spearhead and sustainability into their hardware department which was super exciting because I got to experiment on such a like small scale but for such a large scale company so it really could have made a a big impact like bioplastics recycled plastics all this but as far as like sustainable this word right it's it's able to sustain right so being sustainable is able to sustain a life Right. So that in mind, and I think it's kind of like an overused term, but like thinking about sustainable is actually sustaining life. So I think as a sustainable designer, it's really like designing within the systems and principles of this, like making sure that we're all able to continually live here and design for future generations. And that's, you know, circular circularity. There's a book that, you know, I studied in in industrial design school by Michael Brangar and William McDowell. It's called Cradle to Cradle. Cradle to Cradle is like the birth to the birth. How is it rebirths? that circularity working versus cradle to grave right and a lot of things are designed to die and this is not being a sustainable designer also biomimicry is like mimicking biological systems and that's part of being a designer and a part of life like how do we look at nature observe nature and then design to be like nature because it's there and it's the smartest thing that's available it knows way more than we do and we can learn so much from it so like for me it's like I really have just been studying nature and and figuring out how to use utilize and work with it and be a steward of nature and mother earth to be a better designer and you know to ensure these future generations have what we have today or even better you know yeah even better. <laughs> cool. How has working in an industry such as this made you adapt to more of a conscious lifestyle? And what are some ways our listeners can be more sustainable with what you call the 16 R's? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 16 R's, right? It's like it used to be, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle. So this has changed a lot. You know, this is now neo-sustainability or what 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 does it mean now? <laughs> so I have kind of like 16, but it's actually way more once you get into it. So firstly, like I have a little fast is um that came out 
out a couple of weeks ago is human-made materials reached 1.1 trillion tons, which exceeds the mass of all living things on the planet, including people, bacteria, plants, animals combined. And most of this weight is in concrete and plastic is double the weight of animals combined. So just like think about that. Like there's more things in this this earth that we've made than there are natural things today. And that's obviously continuing exponentially. So it's kind of a crazy place to be in. So yeah, 16 R's. I'm gonna just go through them, see what see what we can get out of it. So recycle, right? So recycle. I kind of feel like this is sort of a marketing thing now. Cause what happens is, you know, most things are 91% of plastic does not get recycled. Most things do not get recycled. So thinking that you can put something in a recycling bin and that it's gonna get recycled, it's probably not. And it's not really like a way to think about being sustainable. It's, it's sort of like one that I almost would take out of this. It's energy intensive to recycle. You lose material integrity. Um, it's never going to be as strong as it was from the beginning. And, you know, plastic was invented. It's really interesting to replace ivory because ivory was made, was used to make billiard balls, you know, so it's kind of like plastic came to save animals. And now it's kind of in all of us. You know, we eat plastic every day. All the animals are eating plastic. So plastic specifically is really an issue, but really single use plastic, which was invented in the 60s. So we've had like 60 years of single-use plastic on the planet. You know, this is crazy. So, you know, stepping back and being like, okay, recycling is not the answer. Like, let's just stop. <laughs> like, don't even think about recycling. You can recycle maybe on your own, but like, this is not a solution. And the next R is reevaluate, which I think is an important one. For me, like, especially during the holiday season or anytime I buy anything, I think I put like, you know, add to cart, right? And then think about it 24 hours. Like, put time into that and really think about it. Do I really need this? Do they really need it how is it made do they have does it have paint or coating on it which actually will render it not recyclable if it ever did get recycled there are how many materials are coming together this can make it really hard to disassemble to be used again does it have multiple uses can you buy one thing that does many things you know save space and, and money how long will i have it where does it go when I'm done with it? Is it strong enough to last or will it biodegrade and become nutrients again for the planet? Does it serve permaculture principles? Does it serve earth care, people care, fair share, or future care? So reevaluate, yeah. The next one is respect. What is it made from? What materials are it made from? You know, materials are finite. Most materials are finite. They, you know, they, they end. We're not gonna always have them. How many hands touch that thing that you have that you bought along the way? Let's respect them. Let's respect the land that it was made on. Reduce. You know, we don't need all this stuff. Uh, Marie Kondo your life. Does it bring you joy or is it just clutter? I love things, you know, I'm an industrial designer. I love things, but I lived out on my suitcase for the past two years. And I could tell you life is so much simpler when you have less stuff. The energy, the objects that you have hold energy. So, you know, they can absorb your energy. They can really be a drain. Refuse. I think this is really brings true for like the single-use plastics again. If you go to a restaurant or grocery store and that's the only option, like tell them why you won't buy that. Make it clear and, you know, bring your own container, right? And the next one is reuse. Garbage is actually really beautiful and tells a lot about a community. Um, it's really sitting there and you call it garbage, but it's an opportunity. Like what's gonna happen with that? Can we do something with that garbage? Let's normalize secondhand gifts. You know, like that's kind of cool, right? Objects hold value. I love the way like copper and leather gets better with time. It's patina, like it, it really starts to show, you know, story. Secondhand items tell stories, you know. Let's invest in heirlooms that get carried down or become part of a legacy. Repair. 
there's so many resources available to repair clothes and items. It's actually more common I've noticed in developing worlds too, maybe because it's not so easy to buy a new one. Yeah, also like maybe you'll learn something useful when you go through that process of repairing or make a new friend, you know, with a sewing machine repair guy, you know, which I've done. Retain, one of the most ecological things you can do is to care for your things, you know, spend time with them, like care for them, keep, keep it within the system for as long as possible. Keep the knowledge of the craft around, revive, give seeds and plants and recipes and scobies for your kombucha. Can you make medicines or tonics by harvesting the plants around you? There's so much more value to our ecosystem than something made for just the landfill. Repurpose, you know, get creative. Rot. When will it become mycelium or bionutrients for the soil again? Herbs and mushrooms and food waste um, should never go into the landfills or trash because they actually produce methane, which is the main contributor of emissions. Your food waste is actually gold for gardens and you can sell it even. If you don't have compost, find a local garden. I actually store my compost in the freezer and then I drop it off at the community garden because they need it and it grows food, right? Reform. If you don't see something working, change it, right? Make a new one. Work top down and adjust the system with policy. Experiment how new things might work so that you can be an example for your community. Renew, extend the life of a product. Wear it, wear it in a new way, accessorize. Turn that scarf into a bag, you know? Regenerate, leave it better than you found it. This is the new way of thinking, right? We are part of the ecosystem and we contribute to the ecosystem. Nature loves and works with us. Resilience, humans are incredibly resilient. Let's understand our value in the ecosystem. I just completed a Centropic Agroforestry workshop this last weekend. And one of the key takeaways for me was that disturbances create resilience. And this is so true on like every aspect. Like for example, there's like a tornado, right? Or there's a fire or a plague, nature comes back strong stronger. So do our bodies when we get sick, right? Yeah, resilience. It's amazing. And then renaissance. We are in a super exciting time in history where we can't continue on the current path, right? We have to use new ideas to surpass old ways in order to move forward and sustain life. So yeah, renaissance. That's it. 16 <laughs> hours and there's so many more. <laughs> wow. Wow. What a long way we've come since I was in grade school and it was reduce, reuse, recycle. And it was so implanted in us in our day-to-day -day education in Canada. And, you know, it really is drilled into your head, like turn off the lights, don't leave the water running. Like, these little things, which is great. Um, recycle, you know, these things. But here all of these 16 R's is like, wow. <laughs> so I hope you made some notes, everyone that's listening. Be mindful, try to be sustainable. I mean, I'm definitely gonna re-listen to this <laughs> again. And you know, it's something for your day-to-day -day life to be more conscious of. Wow, I'm just like stunned. <laughs> so following your inner voice and intuition is one of the most divine superpowers we have as women. So what advice would you tell my listeners when it comes to really harnessing this energy to make the changes happen? So first, just because I haven't said this, I am so thankful that you have this podcast for women so we can lean on each other and learn from each other. And it's so important in, in this world to have our sisters with us. Oh, so thank you for that. Thank you. <laughs> um, and so some advice I have is just, you know, listen to that thing that, that maybe it's a whisper, maybe it's like a yell, but listen to it. It's telling you something about yourself and what you're supposed to be doing in this earth, you know, in this path. And if you don't listen to it, you know, it's going to eat at you. It's it's going to make you really unhealthy. So listen to it and do the thing. Do the thing. Please do the thing because if you do it, 
I can tell you from experience and from the people that I've met in my journey, the world, the universe will conspire to help you. It's it can be scary to break that cycle of maybe you know cons consumption, but do the thing that you're supposed to be doing and make sure it's you know contributing to your higher self and the planet and every everything will work in in its way you will find mirrors you will find help please do the thing do the thing do the damn thing when you feel that burning desire it's a sign it's like you have to listen to it you can't ignore your intuition you know it, it's really actually i read somewhere in a wonderful book it was like a book about goddesses that women are 16 times more intuitive than men it's like what does that even say there yeah so is mother nature yes, yes there you go i want to talk about something i find so interesting which i noticed through your stories on instagram some of the building you were doing for this I want to talk about earthships. So what are these? How do they essentially survive on their own? And how is it educating the local community as a toolkit? <laughs> so I spent some time building airships in Puerto Rico and Haiti. The earthship community is based out of Taos in New Mexico. But yeah, so earthships are essentially autonomous structures and they autonomous means that they run on their own and earthship. The idea of earthship was that, you know, you don't need it's kind of like a ship. You don't need any external input puts to survive. So the you know, it provides thermal solar heating and cooling through the building itself, how it's designed, the architecture, um, solar and wind energy contains sewage treatment um, and, you know, uses that sewage for, you know, planting and creating food. You're building with natural and recycled materials and you're harvesting the rainwater and also, yeah, you're creating beautiful gardens and any environment. The ones I the ones I made were made in tropical environments. So you're really focusing on kind of making it cooler, a cooler system. But they're pretty crazy. If you look at them, they look kind of like machines. What I got out of it and building them super, super fun working with a community and kind of educating people in Haiti, for example, and myself. The way that we did it was we raised money and then um, we all learned together and a, a large portion was locals. And then they continued to build long after. But what was really interesting to me is we started building um, and they were like, what are you doing? Why are you collecting all this trash? We were collecting like, uh, you know, eight times a day, probably like 10 bags of trash from all over the island, which is very plentiful there. They don't have municipality in Haiti to collect trash. So I'm like, what's going on? And towards the end of the month that I was there, they were saving their trash and they were like, no, I don't want to give you my glass bottles or you have to buy these, you know? So they saw the value in this waste. And that was like, for me, that's like, wow, you can make change on some, you know, in a, in a country or in a place by example. And they're continually building there. And it's a, it's a school, they're building a school. And then in, in Puerto Rico, you can check it out there's earthship there and they're really cool to see and be in and they're you know these domes and these spaces they you know. kind of look like a futuristic or like you're on a different planet kind of like alien houses or something yeah <laughs> that's what i was seeing i was like what is yeah. going on here you but know. you can use the principles yeah. and design it in a different way as well which okay. is what i'm really interested in so once the build was over and the people the local people saw what was created from the waste would you say that the local people wanted to also learn how to build? You kind of like leave that with them, like you've planted the seed, mm -hmm. you've created it, and then it kind of like educates them so that they can start building in their own communities. Is that yeah. kind of the idea? Yeah, I mean, I've done a lot of volunteering the past two, two years, and I think it's important to not come in and you know, say we're teaching them. I learned equally or not more than when I went in to volunteer from the locals there. I see. Um, and, you know, that's always going to be the case. Um, it's really important to, in any 
you know, as a designer, but anything to really observe what's happening. But I do believe that we both got a lot out of it. And I like to think that it'll continue. There was a seed planted in a way that really can contribute to a country that's, you know, <laughs> it's hard to fix, you know? So I like to, you know, small little impacts, small little seeds, they do make an impact for everyone involved. So you can volunteer and be part of a, a developing country in a way that can contribute to their society and also yourself. Mm -hmm. um, you have to be sensitive and culturally sensitive to that and know that you're not coming in to save them. They're actually probably going to help you, you know, and, yeah. and they really did. They, they created this really, yeah, I became much more humble in that sense. And I am able to see and go in any kind of workshop or any kind of learning environment and know that I'm going to get a lot more out of it than what I'm going to actually contribute. And that's, you know, I like to say, the more you, the more you know, the more you don't know. And the more I've learned, the more I don't know anything, <laughs> you know, wow. and, I, and I really believe that. And I think, yeah. Yeah. No, that's so interesting. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I think that's a big one. Like you can't go into a third world country with that kind of attitude of like, okay, we're here now. We've, we're here to save you because actually you can learn a lot more from yeah. the, the native people yeah. from there. Right. So I also worked in, I worked in Guatemala and it was the same. It was a weaving, a woman's weaving co-op that's been there for like 30 years. And I helped them with their research to help bring the weavers more, you know, it, to help them more. So I was doing research and trying to get questions to them. And I learned the same thing. It was like the questions that I came up with were not even a lot of them were not valid at all. Because what I thought was important to be healthy and to like create a healthy work environment were not what they needed. And, you know, there was a lot of, oh my God, moments of like, oh, wow, like self-critical, like this is it. This is me trying to, trying to say that this is what I would have needed, but that's not the case for them. And, mm. and yeah, that was, that was also, I've had many moments like that. So, you know, if you're going to volunteer, just be very sensitive to that. It's your history and where you came from is not where you're going. And you're going to learn a lot more from them than yeah. you're going to be able to contribute probably. Definitely something that everyone needs to be conscious of when they're volunteering for sure. In 2022, you're going to be facilitating some natural building workshops here in Cabarete. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? And what can people maybe expect if they're listening to this and they're actually local here and maybe want to join? Super exciting. <laughs> like really, I've, I've done so much different natural building and I, I didn't think that I was going to be facilitating these types of things, but I've made so many connections in the past couple of years. And I've noticed here, it's extremely fast developing here. And a lot of concrete boxes are going up very fast. And I think it's important for this community and the world to see that there's alternative methods of building and living um, that are harmonious with nature and are probably gonna um, improve your health as well. Um, if you can be part of your home, of your dwelling, and you can be part of the design and the making of it, and, you know, get your hands dirty, it's super important, you know, for communities. So it's really just creating an, a, a place for people to learn how to do alternate methods of building. Some of the ways of building that I'm trying to bring here are rammed earth, which is essentially it's like the oldest methods of building is using dirt and it's dirt cheap, right? And you can create really cool buildings that are, you know, insect repellent. They create great thermal mass to keep the environment cool and they're beautiful. Uh, and you can make them and, uh, you know, with people and labor, but pretty inexpensively. So I think that it's important for 
coming into these communities and being like, wow, we can all do this together. Um, there's another one called Earth Bags, which I'm, I'll bring here. Also, something that's a big deal here is the water shuts down and we don't get water a lot, which is insane because we live in a tropical place. It's raining all the time right now in rainy season. So trying to show people how to collect their rain and harvest their rainwater, um, I think is extremely critical. Like we can be sovereign in the, these ways and also natural pools. <laughs> which I really love. I love natural They're pools. They're so beautiful. <laughs> so yeah, I'd like to facilitate these um, workshops and have people also hopefully led by a lot of women. I think that's also something I've learned in these workshops is that it usually is a lot of women because we don't have a lot of opportunity growing up to learn how to build and to use tools. And it's so fun. Yes. Like, yes, do it. Get your <laughs> Get hands dirty. dirty. Do it. Get dirty. It's so empowering to build something and you can do it. Like women can do it. So I'm, I'm trying to bring women together and also women teachers to, nice. to make sure that like we can all come and learn from each other not just for women but like making yes. sure that women know that they're they're included and they can do this so yeah cool well stay tuned everyone because i'll definitely share some of the upcoming workshops when they're ready to launch happy to share yeah <laughs> okay so we're gonna get to this part of the episode can you share with us one or two muses in your life that you might like to give a shout out to yeah i'm gonna say my mom because she definitely guided me on this journey and she was an example of a strong empowering woman and she did exactly what she set her mind to do and raise three kids on her own so i have to say my mom and you don't need to rely on a man to do anything she taught me that and i am really successful because of that also comes to mind is a book that i read by um, her name is robin wall kimmer um, she's the author of braiding sweetgrass and i highly recommend everybody to read this book because it helps you see the world and connect with world the nature in a different way and it really taught me how to be a steward to nature and be of service and of you know nature uses reciprocity so also that we're not you know bad we're not you know bad we can be part of this system and I think that was really important for me to be like no I, I can be contributing I'm not just taking I also have a very good friend who made a post about that book and so the you're the second person that said something about this book. So life changing. I must yeah. order it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Okay. So we're going to get to the follow your bliss finale question. Can you share with us one positive affirmation with our listeners? <laughs> yeah. My affirmation, which I've been saying lately is that we are all seeds and we are meant to be here. And it's simple. I just say that in the morning when I drink my chia water when I wake up <laughs> with your chia we all see with my chia seeds we are all seeds and I am meant to be here oh yeah I like that that's cute Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much, Monica, for being on the podcast today. And it's so nice to reconnect with you and see your smiling face. And welcome back to the island. And now you're here as part of the community, more so not just like floating through, you're setting some roots. So, you know, I'm excited to see what you're going to do here. Yeah, you too. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. Yes. I really appreciate you. <laughs> okay, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you soon, Monica.